Hey everyone, welcome to this week's Buckley Club podcast. Uh, this is Lewis. Uh, this is my first time hosting. So blame Rhino for bad editing skills if this show turns out to be the worst you've heard. I first want to apologize that we were not able to put out a podcast last week. We were busy. Uh, I was tucking the kids into bed over at uh, past our bedtime with uh, Kyle Foley and Bill Clinton's secret son, Grant Clinton. With me this week is uh, Eric uh, of the infamous Rhino and Rhino cartoons. Uh, hey there. Eric. Hey there. Sorry, I was finding my mute button. Yes, uh, at Rhino Cartoon on the twi- Twitters and, and happy to be here. And of crying Jordan mem fame, <laughs> Tim. <laughs> yes, at the civil comment on Twitter and that's about the only place you can find me. But yeah, happy to be here. This is an editor's note. Lewis, it's pronounced meme. And for the first time on the podcast, one of our rhino of rhinos at the Buckley Club, uh, who, believe it or not, Brit Hume is real, Atticus Goldfinch. Hey, everybody. Uh, Atticus GAF at Twitter. And you are real, just to confirm that to Brit Hume. I can neither confirm or deny. <laughs> All right. So there are plenty of things to talk about, but the big thing to talk about this week is hands down the Trump tapes. I, I don't think what we you mentioned down when we're talking about groping genitals. It's just a bad image. <laughs> well, I, I mean, the tapes talked about him just kissing women without their permission and some kind of strange habit where he likes to suddenly grab cats. Nothing else with that P word. There has been a lot of talk about these tapes where the defense seems to be that this is normal lewd guy talk about women. Now, I just have to say that personally for me, I wasn't that offended by the defense because I I wasn't necessarily offended because I was laughing at it. I thought, well, this is so idiotic. They're really going with this defense. And as time has passed by and I've seen this defense used more and more, and I've had some women that I know ask me about it, I'm starting to get a little more unnerved. I have had experiences in the past and I've been open about it on Twitter. I'm just trying to say I have been behind the scenes. Uh, you know, they call it locker room talk, but I'm not reading that many locker rooms. But with, with my guy friends, and yes, every now and then, we talk about women in ways that we probably wouldn't want to get caught on tape doing so. That being said, no, of any time that you have been talking with a friend and the conversation maybe got a little embarrassing and they wanted to brag about assaulting women i'm gonna ask atticus first been on this no i mean that's as simple as it gets right um i don't know i've i grew up in trailer parks most of my life around some of the worst scum you can imagine and not even close have i ever heard something like that and i think what's really interesting is that you're getting people like LeBron James coming out and saying, you know, we talk about stocks and sporting events and like everything but that in locker rooms. So, I mean, even my experiences with it, you know, in high school and stuff, you know, reading women or whatever the normal nonsense that goes on, even these like 28 year old, 35 year old men who are in professional sports are saying, 
no, it doesn't exist in our locker rooms. It's completely weeded out. And then you have a 60-year-old guy, not in a locker room, but on the job with people he's never met before talking this way. I mean, it's just, there's no excuse, right? Well, uh, what about, what are your thoughts, Eric? Have you uh, ever heard men talking about, bragging about this? Well, I, I travel with pretty tame crowds, but even like thinking back to high school when uh, it was kind of the, you know, in with the proletariat, right? <laughs> it's like growing up in rural Maine, these, you know, kids got raunchy, but they never like bragged about hurting people or taking advantage of them physically. I mean, it was uh, what what Donald Trump described was, like you know, if he, if he had if he literally did what he described, and it's starting to sound like he did, it's a crime. I mean, it's sexual assault, and uh, people don't usually brag about sexual assault and other crimes. I mean, I've I've never heard anyone brag about that. One thing that I want to point out that I haven't heard anybody on any media talk about is that you can hear him shaking the tic tacs as he says, "I'm going to get tic tacs out." Like, that's him acting on the brag, unless he's doing prop comedy or something. Well, it sounds like he's got a bad breath problem along with the small hands. Uh, Tim, what are your thoughts on these tapes? And have you ever heard a gentleman talk like, well, that wouldn't be a gentleman. Have you ever heard a man talk like that? I'm guessing I probably run in with the same crowds that Eric does, but I've never heard anything like that. I went to college, and there were a couple of guys on the college football team at, uh, where I went to school in some of my classes and I didn't hear anything like that either. So it's not like we were in the locker room, but you know, a little different, but there really isn't any kind of excuse. And uh, I can't remember who just said this a little bit ago, but this is someone he didn't even know. And he's talking about this to that person. And at first I, I was really disgusted by what he said. And at first I thought, well, maybe it could just be him. He's really uncomfortable in himself, just has to find something to, to say that's really insulting or, you know, not insulting, but uh, really uh, manly or what he considers manly in order to fit in with this guy that, that he doesn't know. But, but then of course, all the allegations, uh, maybe not all of them, but uh, the allegations started popping up yesterday and turns out that what he was talking about on that, that bus going to the show is actually probably something he's done on numerous occasions. And yet the people, people magazine thing and, on um, then the New York Times and I think somewhere in Florida, Palm Beach. So yeah, I've I've never heard anybody talk like that in my life. Who among us would not bend over backwards to try to impress Billy Bush though? Really now? Uh not the me. Manager. I would not try and do that. Can I just say that I the manager's just a weird way for me to even learn of Billy Bush's existence. Can, can I just like like what the hell? Jeb Bush had like a second cousin that knew all this stuff about Donald Trump and he never called up his, his cousin and said, hey man, guess what happened? You're going to win the primary now. It is a little well, suspicious uh, as to the timing of everything that then happened, but I think I saw somebody comment on Twitter last night that uh, this is probably more just laziness on the part of the people that were in the media. Basically, they're just waiting for the, the candidates to hand them something before they drop this stuff. And that that kind of resonated with me. It seemed to make a little bit of sense because seriously, how could you not, or why would you not if you had something juicy like this? But it could just be that they were loving the ratings and, and didn't want to talk about it. Oh, well, forget about like the media trying to set Trump up. I mean, like he needs the help. I mean, 
I mean, for one, there's there were 16 other campaigns that had opposition research or could have had, and they just weren't focused on Trump. And the other is so much came out in the open that I'm not sure this would have made a difference. I'd like to think it would have, but so much was in the open. But I mean, to me, the thing that, that sh- this sheds light on, other than the Trump's side of things, outside of politics, I look at NBC, and uh, they were paying Donald Trump millions of dollars for years for The Apprentice. They were aware of the fact that he at least bragged about these sorts of behaviors, and they didn't do anything to protect their employees. Yeah, well, uh, and I... I got to say, and the reason I keep getting more nerved about this, because I just got to say, as a man, this is this is not normal, uh, ladies. This is just, we don't talk about, I mean, I've heard lewd talk, but I have not heard anything like this. And and again, the thing is, the experiences I'm talking about, Atticus is talking about, you know, th- this is when we're younger, uh, you know, as you grow older, you mature. You get married. He's fifty-nine. He was he's fifty-nine when this happened. Yeah, this is this is not a young man. Get married. You have a daughter. You you know you start getting more mature. This is a fifty-nine-year-old man, and I believe this was shortly after he got married, right? Yeah, his third time. And and again, a man with a history of women. I, I get the sense that for for Donald, that that marriage is more of a, a tax status than than anything much deeper than that. Well, I, I think it's just I think it's a way of showing off to him. I mean, I mean, I don't I don't really like to use the term trophy wife loosely. It's pretty apparent, right? Uh, every I single every single woman he's married has basically been the stereotypical trophy wife. And if all these reports are true, which I have zero reason to give Donald Trump any benefit of the doubt, especially because he's essentially admitted to his MO on camera. Um, that's how they were to him, basically. I mean, if you really love your wife, even the slightest bit, you don't do these things. These tapes, they went on to be mentioned in the second presidential debate. Now, what was interesting to me about the debate is that there seemed to be a divide of the pundits and the voters. Pundits seemed to wanted to create this story of a Trump comeback. Look at this. He's, he's overcome everything, and he's won this debate. Then the scientific polls were coming in and showing, while voters didn't necessarily think he may have done as bad as the first debate, believed that he did, they still believe he lost the debate. And I thought that was fascinating to see that kind of divide. Atticus, do you have any thoughts on the debate? I thought it was weird. And it was weird because Hillary Clinton clearly went in with a strategy that she was going to let Donald string up the noose stand on the chair and hang himself and he pretty much strung up the noose got up on the chair but he never actually you know did that final step and as the night went on and on i see why pundits were saying trump is winning this trump is winning this because she just seemed to lack any fire about her and i think that was the biggest issue she honestly answered the questions very well. She nailed the body language part, which is a huge component of town hall debates. But I have a good feeling that her team is going to be working overtime in these next few days during debate prep to make sure what happened on Sunday doesn't happen again in Las Vegas. All right, and what, about, what are your thoughts, Eric? Well, I think she was playing a prevent defense and uh... – and, and why wouldn't you, I mean, in her 
situation. Why, why risk more than you have to to mess it up? But, uh, you know, I was, I was kind of out of step with the pundits. Um, I didn't think Donald Trump had a win. I thought the first 15 minutes were 12, 15 or 20 minutes were absolutely brutal for him. And uh, I mean, I've like, I, I mean, I think I, I don't know if I tweeted this or Facebook, Facebook this, but I said, like, I've never seen a paler shade of orange. I mean, he looked like, like he looks, I mean, he looks sick. I mean, he looked like he was still sick from the last debate. And he, he looked like death warmed over for the whole debate. And he just looked like all the blood had drained from his face. And he just would have wanted to be anywhere else. And uh, just, just twisting in the wind because he just didn't have any good answers. And again, the split right. screen is so awful to him. It is so awful. I mean, and he was walking around following Hillary like he was ready to jump on her. There's a great piece by a debate coach. I don't know where it was. I want to say it was Washington Post. And the debate post, the debate coach pretty much said that in town hall debates, even experienced politicians make mistakes and they fail and that you have to practice them no matter how good you are at debates because these stupid little things like George H.W. Bush checking his watch completely can sink a candidate. And Trump didn't prepare at all, and it was obvious. Oh, yeah, obvious. Uh, what about you, Tim? Did you put yourself through torture and watch the debate? <laughs> yes, I did. Uh, I, I don't know. It's kind of something you have to watch and, and see for yourself because you don't really get a full uh, – the best uh, grasp of it if you're just uh, watching it on Twitter, which I don't have cable, so I didn't see a lot of the, the, uh, the nominee debates back when it was just uh, you know Democrats only and uh, GOP only. But, uh, yeah, Sunday's debate was uh, – a uh, sight to behold. And I, you know, the, the thing that stuck, uh, stuck out to me and I tweeted about this was the fact that I can't remember what question it was exactly, but Hillary uh, walked over to her right, to the right side of the stage and was addressing somebody directly. And then Donald Trump comes up right behind her and just looms over her for, you know, 30 seconds to a minute. And it was at that point that I tweeted something to the effect of, you know, if you look at that that scene right there, you, you believe that what he was talking about in those tapes was real. And then I found it interesting that reading that people story last night, that that kind of is the same thing that happened there is that he got in real close to her and then just, you know, did what he wanted to do and, and go ahead and assault that woman just because he wanted to. And I, I was really shocked the way that, that Trump would just loom over Hillary there. It was really telling for me. I was going to say for me personally, those first 20 minutes were absolutely brutal to him. And I'm, I'm starting to think that just maybe voters didn't care about the rest of the debate after seeing those first 20 minutes. Yeah. Well, I, one thing that I did notice is that, I mean, I was, I was kind of along with Eric where I said from the get-go that I thought Donald Trump had lost the debate just in the first 20 minutes and it didn't matter what happened afterwards um, is that, I noticed a lot of the pundits that were saying it were men, and I feel like women, and I mean, you can see it in the debate polls, there's a huge gender gap that between who thinks who won. I think women paid attention during those first 20 minutes, and they spent the rest um, completely thinking of what the heck they just saw, and they couldn't get it out of their heads. And really, I think we've reached a point now where I don't know if there are swing voters left after these recent breaks with Donald Trump. I don't know many people that go, oh my gosh, this guy is a serial sexual predator. I'm not going to vote for him. 
I don't think another tape of Clinton falling down into a vehicle or anything crazy like that is going to flip them back. I think this election is entirely over by this point. Well, historically, we've reached the point where voters have made up their minds. Some people like me are already casting ballots. So I do agree with you that I think we've gotten to the point of no return. Unless you're talking about really close races. And this is not a close race. Folks, this is a Buckley Club first. We have had someone join us. Also a first timer, I believe, to the podcast. Jack is here with us. Uh, I believe, don't, what is your Twitter handle? Capitalist Jack or? Capitalist underscore Jack. All right, so we're talking about the debate, Jack. What were your thoughts? Well, so I had two things. Well, in response to Atticus, the election's definitely over as far as Trump can't come back. But I do think, well, and this is anecdotal, but I don't want to be like some reporters we've seen, but I do think that there is some Rubio Cruz primary voters who are still a little squeamish and could be convinced to vote or to not throw the top of the ticket. But but yeah, as far as, it, it, he's definitely not coming back. It's just a question of how, what his floor is. And my other thing was, I thought it was, regarding the debate, I thought it was really interesting, the, uh, the, the contrast between Trump and Pence. I mean, they didn't look like they were on the same ticket on the two different debates. And that's, that's something we haven't, it, uh, with the ideological divide of, our, of, the, of the more modern era of, of politics, it's not something we've, we've seen in a while. Yeah, I mean, uh, McCain and Palin looked like they came from different planets, but had the same politics, maybe. Well, right. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I want another vice presidential debate because because I would I'd be fascinated what, what what Pence would have to say about all this. Oh um, yeah, I'd love to gym, see Pence just some incredible this. gymnastics on display in the last one. All right. Uh, so Jack, just real quick, what were your thoughts about the the tapes, and have you ever heard a man talk like that? Uh, I've been in plenty of locker rooms. I've never heard something like that. It was, I mean, it was all the things that have been said about it and more. Uh, but it also wasn't, like people said, it wasn't surprising. Like, we've known who this man is. So, yeah, that's my thoughts on it. All right, and talking about the, the, the tapes and the debates, now the question is what's going on in the down ballots? So... How badly does this hurt Republicans down ballot? What What do you think, Jack? I, th- I think it. I think it depends on uh, on the race, but I'm I'm not an, an expert on these things. I think, but yeah, <laughs> all I would say is that it it depends on the race. All right. Uh, what about you, Atticus? What, how much damage does this do down ballot to Republicans? Well, I mean, I guess we're seeing what negative eight, negative ten on generic ballots now. Um, Liam Donovan had a really good point the other day in a tweet, and I think it kind of sums up where I am in regards to the House. I think that the Senate is basically lost at this point, but he basically said, these are the margins that you would expect us to lose the House in, but it's hard to pinpoint any actual House districts in which the votes flip. And so I think that's where we are. I think that even though these numbers are terrible, the seats that Democrats need to take from Republicans are such strong seats right now, whether it's from gerrymandering or whatever, that I don't I don't think the House is going to flip, um, which means Paul Ryan is going to be the leader again if he doesn't retire or um, exile himself. But not to mention poor recruiting by the Dems because they didn't necessarily see Trump coming. Uh, what about uh, you, Tim? Do you think this might damage Republicans down the ballot? Well, I think that's what you've seen in some of the the uh, unendorse on Saturday and then reendorse on 
Monday or whatever day it was. And, you know, I live in Nebraska and Deb Fisher decided to unendorse saying he should drop out. Mike Pence should step up on top of the ticket. And then whatever day it was, maybe it was yesterday, whatever day it was, she came back and said, oh, no, you know, he should he should stay in and, and I'm going to vote for him. I think it's, you know, the same thing with a lot of these people that are choosing to to keep their endorsement without telling him to drop out Marco Rubio and whoever else. I think that they're trying to play to too many people at once and they're starting to offend a lot of people. You know, when Trump was just kind of the crazy guy with, you know, crazy racist comments, maybe they they thought that was okay, but at this point I I don't know how you continue to to not or to, to continue keeping your endorsement of him not unendorse the guy and tell him to drop out because this point we're talking about crimes but uh in terms of down ballot i think the people that are are not unendorsing are the ones that are probably living in heavily red districts and are afraid that the trump supporters in their their districts are going to vote them out if they if they don't drop trump or if they drop if they drop trump sorry that's right and what about you eric because i know you've been calling out some republicans on twitter uh what's your thoughts on the down ballot damage i i feel very strongly about what the right thing to do is I think the right thing to do is is absolutely to retract your endorsement. And I am I'm past the point of trying to predict when people will do that because I, I don't understand what it's going to take. I don't know if anyone saw the Blake uh Ferenthold interview. Is that how you pronounce his last name? The congressman yeah. from Texas and uh the interviewer I think, asked, meant, I think you meant to say piece of trash. Sorry. Well, that's how he acted. I mean, they asked him, you know, if if Trump was bragging about raping instead of groping, then uh, would, would you retract your endorsement then? And then he, he said, well, I'd have to think about it, basically. Um, so, I mean, it's like, you know, where is the line that you draw? It doesn't feel like people are willing to draw any kind of line. So that's that's where I am morally on this. When you Where I am strategically, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, how, how it's going to affect things. I don't know from a pure sociopath, strategic point of view, what the right decision would be to get the most votes. I can just give you an anecdote from tonight. I was watching a little bit of the debate uh, with uh, with uh, Senator Burr here in, in North Carolina, and they asked him about uh, Trump's Trump recent troubles. And uh, he said, well, listen, you know, if he did the things that he's accused of, it would be sexual assault. But I can only tell you that I take him at his word. And then he went from that and pivoted into calling uh, Hillary Clinton a liar because of her emails. And to sit there and watch that. I can't imagine anyone looking at that who is in any way neutral or undecided. Look at that and, and see that as a reasonable stance. I mean, but, see him uh, as a, um, a reasonable human being for making that judgment with Trump and then the, the other judgment with Hillary Clinton. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't play well at all. I think he's going to lose his race. Well said. Um, I, well, I was just going to say, as the guy who, does all this election stuff, runs down the numbers. I, I've i seen kind of mixed data on how much this seems to hurt with the post-debate polls. Now, Atticus mentioned the generic ballot's looking really ugly. Uh, now, the good news for Republicans is Democrats have not done well uh, recruiting this year for House because they were so focused on getting the Senate instead. There's the gerrymandering. And you probably, if you're the Democrats, you probably need to be up 10 in polls. Now, there is, I think there was one poll that showed them up 10 in the generic ballot, but most polls have been showing it at about six to eight points right now. That's a lot of, that's a lot of lost seats, but not, maybe not enough to do the 30 net losses 
that the Republicans would lose the House. Now, um, on the Senate front, a little bit mixed. There seems to be some evidence that um, making a comeback. I, I'm not sure if that's for real. Uh, Marco Rubio, the race seems to have tightened a bit, but he's still holding on to his lead. North Carolina has been getting very interesting um, because, as Eric mentioned, uh, there's polls not showing the tide. Every now and then you get a poll showing the Democrat ahead by one or two points. So the question is, there, it might just be that there's so much ticket splitting or that it's it, linking Trump to the GOP might have a certain limit that maybe Republicans don't necessarily get as some of these worst case scenarios. But I absolutely think that we're going to be seeing losses. And while the Senate still remains to be a close battle for majority, I have to say that I think the Democrats are slight favorites at this point to get the Senate back. I think it also something that maybe uh, this is kind of a tangential issue, but the fact that Trump is out there trying to pull down the, the Senate Republicans, trying to get after the people that, that he doesn't like just because they don't like him, it speaks to the fact that that's why you normally – uh, put up a guy for president who has played well with uh, the people in the party for a long time instead of some outsider who just wants to basically go for their own glory in the presidential race. And so that I had some tweets later or earlier today that talked about that, that you, know, you talk to these Trump people or, or some people that I know, they're like, hey, you know, we need Trump to make sure that we hold on to SCOTUS. I'm like, well, you do need the Senate to get your SCOTUS nominees approved and actually onto the court and so by trump sabotaging some of these people up for senate really kind of refutes the argument that people make that you need to vote for him because of the scotus do you think trump realizes at this point he's going to lose or do you think he's talked himself into the fact that he's going to win well it's i think he's probably coming to the realization that he's probably going to lose when he's out there talking about the fact that that uh there's some kind of a, a scam out there for voter fraud and all this other stuff He's already trying to build up the fact that uh, some kind of an excuse, build up the, the foundation of an excuse so he can come out on November 9th and say, well, it was stolen from me, blah, blah, blah. I think I think not only is he finally realized that he's going to lose, um, I mean, all of his rhetoric essentially supports this idea that he's setting up the foundation for a, uh, like Tim was just saying, a, you know, a stolen election or quote unquote revolution afterwards. Um I think he's kind of realizing that his brand might be dead. And I think that is what is finally going to get to him more than anything. I mean, Mark Cuban has said within five years, Trump, um, the organization is going to be gone. It's going to be completely bankrupt. He said that Bernie Madoff has a less toxic brand than Trump does at this point. Well, takes us into our question of the week. Uh, everyone's going crazy about the new Star Wars Rogue One trailer. So I'm going to ask you all, which do you prefer? And you can say neither if you're not a fan of either. But which do you prefer, Star Wars or Star Trek? I'm going to start with Jack. Oh, it's Star Wars easily. I, I've never watched Star Trek. And I'm a, I, I spent a young one entire summer as a child studying Star Wars uh, fan fiction, so I uh, am a huge Star Wars guy. All right, and what about you, Tim? Uh, I've never watched 
more than about 15 minutes of Star Trek in my life, no matter what version it is. Star Wars, hands down, and but only, only the first, the original three, you know, and then maybe the the new, the new one that came out. Why, why am I not thinking of it? Uh, but uh, Force yeah, Awakens. Definitely. There you go, the Force Awakens. So the original three, and then the Force Awakens, and then throw away, you know, episodes one through three, and only the original, original four, five, and six, not the. Not the twisted versions that uh, George Lucas put out later. What about you, Eric? Well, I'm a huge nerd, and I like I like them both a lot. Uh, but I I think that the Star Wars setting is a lot more interesting, just because aliens are more alien. The technology is more interesting, and it it's like it's there's like I love it in science fiction when there's great technology, but it's like broken or busted or this thing's fried or not working the way it's supposed to, because it just, it's, it has more verisimilitude. And so like Star Wars does that better than Star Trek. Star Trek, everything is just a little too polished, just a little too perfect. People are just a little too nice. I don't know. It's like, yeah, it's like that town you visit in when everyone's just a little too nice and you're wondering where the bodies are hid. (laughs) Are are we going to, in addition to the question of the week, are we going to also have a word of the week? Uh, coming up on me on future Buckley Club podcast, verisimilitude. Uh, we'd have to ask Jay about that. That'd, that'd be a new uh, thing to add. Uh, my, mine is shouting for it for after the election. <laughs> <laughs> mine is Dutch, Dutch Legenda. <laughs> what about you, Atticus? Was Star Wars or Star Trek? I think all of you are despicable, deplorable people. Star Trek, hands down. And I'm so embarrassed for you people that haven't seen it. You guys should watch every episode in a row without stopping on Netflix right now. I am i mean, I don't know. I feel like I'm a huge science fiction nerd. I can tell you, um, you know, what the difference between a Twi'lek and a Rodian is in Star Wars. But Star Trek, I think, just because of its episodic format, has hit on so many larger, more meaningful themes than star wars has i mean uh like the visitor the episode in deep space nine oh there's another one that's really famous oh the inner light and the next generation i mean individual episodes of star trek which uh, series is your favorite more space nine for sure which which Which, deep Deep space nine is your favorite you said and it might actually deep space nine might actually go towards what you're saying in that, you know, in a lot of Star Trek, everything's just a little bit too perfect, um, just a little bit too, you know, utopian. Deep Space Nine is the opposite of it. It is yeah. dark. It is realistic. They're in the middle of a war. They don't have resources. There's greed. There's evil. There's human struggle. I mean, I just, there's never been a science fiction show like Deep Space Nine in my eyes. But I mean, to the bottom, to the final point, um, episodes of Star Trek that have made me feel more touched or more related than anything in all who knows 16 hours of Star Wars that have been made so far. Well, for me, I've actually kind of evolved on this. When I was younger, I was more into Star Wars. Star Trek seemed boring to me. Then I met my wife and she's been she's more into Star Trek. So I've been checking it out more and more the last couple of years, and I have to say that I'm becoming, in Atticus' uh, opinion, that Star Trek is better. And I will. The thing is, I, I like the potential of Star Wars. No, like I, 
I seem to always feel like they don't really live up to it. I, I always feel like they just don't go where I think they could take that universe. Yeah, um, I, I think Star Wars nails the excitement factor, but Star Trek nails the meaningful factor. Yeah, and uh, so with that, that should be all. Uh, my first ever, might be only time hosting the Buckley Club. So make sure to check us out at thebuckleyclub.com if you're sick of the same old right-wing media. And we are on Twitter at the Buckley Club. So thanks for listening uh, this week, folks, and have a good weekend. Shut up, Kyle.